We've been looking at uh, the way Jesus interacted with people. And uh, one of the reasons why I've been studying this out is it's very selfish. I want to be a better uh, follower of Jesus. I want to walk like him. I want to talk like him. And sometimes he was uh, very patient, and sometimes he would say no, and he would answer a question with a question. Sometimes he was very compassionate, and sometimes he was very firm. And uh, there's a time and season for everything, and uh, unfortunately I don't want to have my emotions determine the way I respond. I want to let Jesus Christ and his pattern do it. So we've been studying the way he's responded to people. Sometimes it's tough, and sometimes it's very tender. And uh, that's, that's the way it requires sometimes. And if you remember the first uh, installment of this series, we looked at the way he uh, interacted with the disciples, and I, I likened it to a college degree. Uh, he worked with them for three and a half years. The college is about three and a half years, if you exclude that last summer. And uh, we noticed that in uh, um, the freshman or the first year of the, the, the apprenticeships, uh, he was very tender with them and very patient. But as every year went by, he started bearing down a little bit more. And uh, at, towards the end, during their senior year, right before they were, he used to die, uh, he was getting very tough with him. And basically the reason was, is I'm going to die. I'm going to heaven and you're going to be on your own. And you need to start getting this. You need to start putting this into action. Now I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and that will be a comforter to you. But at the same time, you're going to be on your own and you need to start figuring some of these things out. So when we go into scripture and we quote some of the things Jesus does... Sometimes context will really help us out. <clears throat> he responded tenderly in the first year, but he re responded very firmly in their fourth year and their last year. Well, it's the same thing. I sure wish I, I knew some of this stuff when I was uh, parenting uh, way back when. I think I might have done a little better job. Uh, maybe it'll help me as a pastor. Maybe it'll help me as a grandpa right now. But today I would like to look at Jesus Christ because Jesus had one up on us. He was able to know the hearts and minds and motives of the people he interacted with. And I can't claim that. I might have a little insight into my wife some days. I might have a little insight into my biological children because I've known them all their lives. But uh, uh, even then I missed the boat. But Jesus could do it perfectly. And what I want to do is, uh, as I studied these times out, we've got three occasions I would like to look at, and I think that'll tell uh, the story that uh, kind of summarizes everything I read. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, let's go to the first account, and these are all in the book of Luke. So let's go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'm going to start reading here at verse 17. Now these are three occasions when Jesus spoke, Luke 5, Luke 6, and Luke 7, where he was able to know the hearts and mind of the people he was interacting with. And I want to notice something here. I want to see if you can, you can figure this out. So I'm starting to read here at verse 17. <clears throat> and it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that he here is Jesus Christ, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by the way, 
they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went on the housetop and led him down through the tiling and his couch into the midst before Jesus. I think this is an account that we know fairly well. It's uh, spoken of in Mark 2 with a little more detail. But uh, as soon as they broke the tiles of of the roof free and they brought them down, I assume, on ropes and set this uh, cot right in front of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, thy sins be forgiven. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the point I want to make here is if you don't know who Jesus Christ is and you've never met him and you've never heard him preach and you hear him for the first time and all you know is Old Testament law, he is being blasphemous from their perspective, correct? They don't know, right? Okay. Verse 22 says, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, man, I wish I could do that with my wife all the time. How about, how about once a week, huh? No, I feel like I always miss the boat. And I'm not making fun of her, I'm making fun of me. You understand, okay. He answering said unto them, What reason in your hearts, whether it be easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath the power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that wherein he lay and departed in his own house, glorifying God. Verse 26. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I think this is a pretty good response by these Pharisees. Amen. Amazed, glorify God, a little bit afraid. I think this is a pretty good response. What I'd like to do is I'm going to jump immediately to the next one because it's almost identical. And the response by the Jews are going to be completely different. Okay, But what I want you to focus, is on, focus in on is how did Jesus react to the Jews in this account? And how did he react to the Jews in this next account? And you're going to find that they're exactly the same. Okay? They're going to have a completely different outcome, but he responded exactly the same. And he could read their minds and their hearts. Look at me. I'm going to be approached by someone, and I can't read their minds and hearts. I have plenty of presuppositions, amen? And I may respond to one differently than the other, but Jesus, who knew their hearts and their minds, responded the same, and I didn't, okay? So let's, let's now don't go assuming here, because we want to look at several occasions. Ultimately, I want to be better when I, in the workplace. I want to be better in my neighborhood. I want to be better in the hardware store. I want to be better with my next door neighbor. I want to be better with my own children. I want to be better with my wife. There's a time to be firm and there's a time not to be firm. And Lord, just, just, just help me understand. Help me understand a better walk like you. Okay? So let's go to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start reading here at verse 1. So the first issue in chapter 5 was 
Jesus was forgiving sins and only God could do that. They didn't understand that he was God yet, right? So, so they were pushing back on that. I get it. That's understandable. Chapter 6 and verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this, what David did when he was a hungered, and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God and did take the showbread, did eat the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which was not lawful to eat, but for the priests only. And he said unto them, That the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Let's keep on going. Verse 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusation against him. So the first time he walks in and into this house that's packed, and there's some Jews there, and they're watching him, and he walks into this other synagogue, and here's some Jews and some scribes and some Pharisees, and they're watching him. He can read their minds. He knows the first one is not up. You know, they're, they're, they're sincerely interested. The second ones are not sincerely interested. They're more interested in catching him than in catching truth, Right? But notice Jesus' response to the second group. Okay? Verse 8. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Can't you imagine those Jews and the, the scribes and the Pharisees on the edge of their seats and saying, Okay, we're ready to get them, right? Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around about upon them all, he said unto them, Man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole after his others. And they were filled with madness and commune one another what they might do to Jesus. So two different groups two very similar situations, two very similar responses by Jesus. The first set of Jews were amazed and glorified God. The second ones got angry and they just wanted to be treacherous and figure out how they can catch Jesus. But the question I have for you is, what was the difference in Jesus' response? And I don't see any difference. In both cases, he asked a question. It was a pretty sincere question. He healed the man. And then the Jews responded. So, what's that got to do with you and I today? Okay, let's take a hypothetical situation. I hate doing this because I have three biological children here this day and they think I'm talking about them. I'm not. I'm talking about some other child, the sixth child I never had, okay? And here's the sixth child, sixth child I've never had. Let's pretend it's a teenager right now, about 14, 15 years old. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching my teenager for 14, 15 years and I, I know what makes this child tick, what, what, what their buttons are to push their buttons. I know which ones are the rewards, which is their motives. And all of a sudden I see them do something that just angers me or is frustrating me or something like that. And, and, and I've got all my assumptions going forward, right? 
but I want to respond more like Jesus. Got it? Jesus could read their hearts. I can't. Sometimes I miss the mark. A lot of times I get pretty close, but sometimes I miss the mark. The first place I need to start, I need to stop. I need to observe. Jesus didn't have to do this, but I do. And then I need to ask questions. Why did you do this? What were you thinking when you did this? Because there's a lot of times uh, it's just a communication problem. Okay? All right. I want to go to the next one now. I'll wrap up these thoughts. Right now I think I'm just stringing a bunch of questions in front of you. I hope your minds are reeling. I'm looking at your faces. I got your, your, your foreheads are all scrunched up. That means you're thinking. Maybe I'm just frustrating you. I don't know. Okay. So let's go to the third one. This is in Luke 7. Luke 7. This is another case. And I like one. This is a short case. Uh, Jesus was, Christ was invited to do a dinner party by a Pharisee. A big shot Jew. He, he said, come, come, come meet my house. And I'm skipping this part, but when he went to eat at his house, this woman comes up behind him and cracks open an alabaster box and crawls up behind Jesus Christ. He's sitting at a, at a chair, but, but from behind, she takes the anointment and she's washing his feet and, and she's crying and her tears are going on his feet and she's using her hair to wipe his feet and she's kissing his feet. And this Pharisee's watching Jesus, and he says, that's the most disgusting, despicable display I ever watched, saw in my life. Okay? But the thing is, is he didn't say it out loud. He just thought it. And Jesus answered him. You got it? He answered something that wasn't communicated. I can't do that. Got it? But let's, let's read the account. Okay, I'm in Luke 7 and verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisees which had bitten him saw it, he spake within himself. He didn't verbalize it. This is, he's just thinking it. Got it? Saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, notice that he says he answered him. But the guy didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. He could read their mind. I can't do that. Sometimes I think I can do that, but I can't do that. I need to stop and ask some questions. But Jesus is a step ahead of me. Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. And they had this conversation, and it actually went pretty well. Okay? So my point is, 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 is what has this got to do with us in the year 2022 in our lives? With, with, with family members, with siblings, with spouses, with coworkers, with, 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 with people we interact with in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, don't get me wrong. I want to talk to you about charity. 
I want to talk to you about what God would have us do with our brothers and sisters, both in the church and outside the church. I want to talk to you. But there is a time where Jesus says, enough's enough. But there's another time where he gives them a chance. And my point is, is how many times have we made an assumption before we ever gave someone a chance? That's what this lesson is for. There is a time where Jesus will run into people that took, 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 took. And he said, that's enough. But you know what? He let them offend God. He let their actions offend God. His actions didn't offend God. That's what we have to do. We've got to at least try. Because I can't read the hearts. I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations. I'll give you one example. This is really funny. This is way back when I was teaching. when there was a, a social studies teacher that I worked with. And he got really offended at the Latino students. In that particular school, it was about a third white, a third black, and a third Latino. And uh, he was, we were having lunch together, and he was getting really, he says, I, I just, those Latino students really bug me. And I said, why, Jerry? Because he was a good Christian man. He says, when I talk to him, they never look me in the eye. And I said, Jerry, that's their culture. You know, kind of like a sergeant. Don't eyeball me, lieutenant, or, you know, private. To look you in the eye is a sign of disrespect. And he said, oh. <laughs> you understand? Well, it was an assumption not understanding where they came from. And I kind of joke because my dad was kind of a rough character sometimes. You know, when you knew him later on, you would never would have guessed. But he was a Marine. And when I was growing up, looking him in the eye got me in trouble. Looking at my shoe tops got me in trouble. You know what the safe part was? Looking at his sternum. That's where the safe place was. <laughs> Tom, I think you know what I'm talking about, right? That was the safe place for my dad. Okay? But at the same time, that was, that was an occasion where an assumption was made. He, he, he actually, and after that, he, he was embarrassed. He waded in and he had a good relationship with the students, but it was just something cultural where it just didn't work. And, and, and Jesus could read a heart and we can't with the backgrounds we have. Okay? All right, so let's go and let's talk about, let's talk about three descriptions of true religion. Okay? Here's the first one. And I think these are pretty familiar to you. And I like this one, too, because this is in Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is responding to a Pharisee. It was actually a scribe, not a Pharisee, a lawyer. And the lawyer was questioning Jesus about what the greatest commandment was. But when he came to him, he came with one purpose. It says he came tempting Jesus. In other words, he wasn't seeking truth. He was trying to catch Jesus in his words. But they had this conversation going on, and it actually turned out pretty well. And he started talking, and the way Jesus was responding, Responding to this, uh, this scribe, and the scribe was coming back. We actually talked about him about two weeks ago. And it, the conversation went really well, and he, Jesus actually responded, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. He said, You're getting pretty close. So, but but he, act, he resp- this was a guy that was trying to catch Jesus, and he still responded with love the first time through. You got it? Okay. That's... You know, the bottom line of my message, 
Give people a chance no matter what you assume. Okay? Luke 10. I'm just going to read a little bit of passage from this. This is 33 through 35. But a, you remember the priest went through and he didn't see. The, okay, let me back up a little bit further. In, in the par, parable of the Good Samaritan, there was a man that was traveling. And when he got traveling, he got mugged. And when he got mugged, he got beat up. And he got thrown in the ditch. He got stripped of all his money and all his clothes. And here's this wounded guy, knocked out cold, sitting in a ditch naked. The priest goes by and looks. Oh boy, just keeps on going. Levite comes by, looks, and says, oh boy, that's going to hurt in the morning. He just keeps on going, right? And all of a sudden, the Samaritan comes by. This is the point. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, this is the man that got mugged, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and he poured in oil and wine. And he sent him on his own beast, and he brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. And on the morrow he departed, but he took out two pets. He gave it to the host, the innkeeper, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever he spendeth above this two pence, I will come again, and I'll cover the bill. Sometimes when you help people, like this guy that was naked in a ditch, it's inconvenient. Sometimes they're stinky and they're smelly. And they're dirty. Sometimes you've got an agenda to keep and it's going to put you off schedule. But the Lord's telling you that you need to go down in there and you need to do this. This is the love. Okay? My whole point is sometimes when you help people, you get stinky, smelly, and dirty. Right? Amen? But the Lord would have us get stinky, smelly, and dirty. Because you know what? Once upon a time, you were stinky, smelly, and dirty. I was stinky, smelly, and dirty. Okay? In my clubbing, beer-drinking days, that was me. Okay? Let's look at a second description of true religion. I want to go to Matthew 25, 34 through 36. You remember when Jesus Christ is talking about towards the end of time and we're here and he's going to put the goats on the right and the sheep on the left? It's not the beards that make the difference between a sheep and a goat, right? It's the behaviors. Let's read this, 34 through 36. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came in unto me. You know what? You're a sheep because you took care of the stinky, smelly, dirty. These are all stinky, smelly, dirty people. That's the difference between a sheep and a goat. Amen? We can't make those assumptions. And then one more. This is just to twist it a little bit. This is the passage from John. Jesus Christ had fed the multitudes. They came back to him and notice what happened here. Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, and for the meat that endureth for everlasting life, with the Son of God will live. There's a point in time where Jesus got stinky, smelly, dirty. 
But there's a point in time where he said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm moving on. I'll share this. I think I've shared this with you before. Brother Glenn who Blanchard, who's a pastor down in Florida, when I first became the pastor of the first church I ever pastored, this was well over 20 years ago, he came up and was preaching an annual meeting. He spent the weekend with me. I had him in my house. I really enjoyed the time. I liked Brother Glenn, and I was trying to think why. And it's, Well, he's Chicago. I'm Detroit. He was born Lutheran. I was raised Catholic. There was just a lot of similarities that came to the, the, the grace later on in life. And he was giving me some advice as a pastor. First church, first couple months I ever pastored. He said, Dolph, he says, let me give you some advice. He says, you're going to have folks that come to you and have a terrible problem, and they're going to come to you. And you know what? You're going to give them some advice, and they're totally going to ignore it. And they're going to come back again with bigger problems. And they're going to ask them for some advice, and they're going to totally ignore it. And they'll come back to you a third time with bigger and better problems, or bigger and worse problems, right? And you're going to give them some advice. He said, after the third time, that's it. I thought he was the most cold-hearted pastor I ever met in my life. 25 years later, I think he's the wisest pastor I ever heard in my life. Because he told me, he says, you've only got so much time and energy and so much emotional investment to pour out to your wife and your children and your church. And you get someone that's a taker, taker, taker. You just need to see a little bit of fruit before you go back. Well, that's where Jesus is. He says, here's some people that were taken, taken, taken. And they're coming back for the physical, not spiritual, coming back for the physical. And there's a time where you say, that's enough. It's time to back away. Amen? Man, it's so hard. It's so hard to make that call. Amen? But sometimes we have to make that call. All right. So, I go through Scripture, and I think of some real hard cases. I want to go to Jacob in Genesis 28. Okay? (laughs) Jacob's, he's a rascal, right? I wrote this down. He was a person that God loved and adopted, and he was a yellow, lying, blackmailing mama's boy. You know what? He was dirty, stinky, smelly. And God loved him. God said, you're mine. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to multiply your seed. I'm going to give your seed all this land. Yeah, I know you're dirty, stinky, smelly. But I'm going to do that for you. And you know what, though? It only took him 20 years to figure it out. I'm telling you what, if Jacob was someone in business, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. And even after he got converted, I'd watch him like a hawk. You think, you're pretty cold. No, that's my flesh, right? But God loved him and had compassion on him. You know, I go to another character, New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was much better. He was fire-breathing, hateful towards Christians, throwing them in jail, busting up families, women, children, men. Didn't matter. He was having them all thrown in jail. He was ruthless. 
And God tapped him on the shoulder and he says, you're mine. That stinky, smelly, rotten guy. He says, you're mine. It didn't take him 20 years, but it took him his eyesight, didn't it? And he came around. He came around. So my point is, is sometimes we think that we hit our limit. And the story I told you about the pastor and the counseling, you know, and, and, and not doing the counseling after three, I'm not saying, okay, there's your number one, two, three, and that's where you got to stop. It depends on the situation. you got to look at fruits. I really want to be more like Christ. Because when I look at Jesus Christ and I'm looking at him with his disciples, I'm scratching my head because I can't tell you how many times I counted. He's talking to them. This is towards the end of their three and a half year apprentice. And he says, I just can't believe you don't get it yet. I'm thinking myself as a parent or a teacher, I just want to throw in the towel and forget it. But God was long suffering with me. There comes a point where there's taken, taken, taken physically and nothing giving, nothing spiritual. That's the time where you walk away. But when you see a little bit of evidence, you see a little bit of hope, you still keep plugging away. Okay? So I talked about Jacob. I talked about Paul. Now it's time to talk about me. I gave you a little incident about this um, clubbing, beer drinking, sports junkie that was in his mid-20s. Yeah, it's funny. Jacob did not pursue God. God pursued him. And Paul did not pursue Jesus Christ. Jesus pursued him. And I wasn't pursuing God, but God pursued me. So from a perspective of a, a wife looking at me, I don't think she'd have touched me with a 10-foot pole. Right? I would have required a ton of patience and mercy, you know, given where I was. But God was working with me and, and, and brought me around. So, with that being said, it's, 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 it's hard. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. I didn't prepare this one, but I've got, I want to go there real quick. It's kind of an afterthought. I want to start reading at verse 33. This is where Jesus Christ is preaching to a great big crowd. And I want you to notice the order of the events. Okay, notice the order of the events. Verse 33. And the people saw them departing. Okay, this is the masses, and Jesus and his disciples got in the ship. And many knew him and ran afoot, hit thither out of all the cities, and out went them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with much compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent and his disciples came unto him, he said, This is a desert place, and now is the time past. Send them away, and they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said to his disciples, he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? In other words, what he did is he saw some people and the first thing he did is he fed them spiritually and then he fed them naturally. Now don't get me wrong. If someone comes in there and they're so faint they can't understand the word of God, feed them naturally. You got it? But the key is when the Pharisees came to John the Baptist, he says, give me 
fruit, meat for repentance, in that, in our conversation, when we're talking to folks, we've got to wade through that and we've got to try to discern that. I can't read the mind. I can't read the heart. I don't know what's driving them. I don't know their background. I don't know if they're not looking me in the eye because it's a cultural thing. I, I don't understand that. I've got to talk to them. I've got to get close to them. But at the same time, when I see this, I said the spiritual is really important. And there's a point in time where people take, take, take physically, physically, physically. That's when you start backing away. But when the spiritually, you give, 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 and you're patient. And that's the way it was with Jesus Christ. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. It's hard. I've been in... I'll give you one more case, and then I'll close it up. Um, As you know, I've been involved in a a prison ministry for several years, and we've actually been closed out of the prisons for the last two years because of the state of Virginia and the COVID restrictions, and we just haven't been able to get back in there. And it looks like uh, things are starting to loosen up and something might happen pretty soon. And, you know, thankfully, uh, Brian and Emery went to a meeting just a couple days ago, and um, they kind of saw the men that we're working with. And I want to tell you the story of, of one inmate because uh, the first time I went in there, I was scared. This was a class four prison, federal prison. So it was, an, it, was, uh, it was pretty high security. Five was the toughest. So it was one of the worst ones. And I walked in there and there was a, sitting down at a table and there was a man. And there was a, six inmates and two or three of us from the outside were sitting with these six people and we were talking. And this man was talking and the one thing they tell you is that you never ask them what they did. That's just what you don't do. If you gain their trust, they will tell you, but you don't ask what they did. Well, evidently we've been talking and I gained his confidence and he told me what he did. He says, I killed a guy. I was kind of like, whoa, right? I said, why? And it was funny because, um, well, it wasn't funny to him, but it was, it was strange funny. He said, he said, when I came home from work, this guy would be sitting on my porch wanting stuff from me. And he says, that helped him out. And then one came, I came home from work, and he broke into my house, and he was smoking my dope. He said, I got so mad. And he dragged him out of the house, and he killed him. And as he's talking, he's got these veins bulging out of his neck and his, his eye, his, his, his forehead, and he's just all this hatred towards he has for this guy. And we're talking, and he's, he, 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 he's going through all this. And um, I said, but why did you do it? So there's a couple dollars worth of dope. Is that why you killed him? He says, no. It's just, it was the control he had over my life. And I asked him, I said, how long ago did this happen? He said, 15 years. I said, how much longer do you have? He says, another 20 he says, if I'd killed him inside, I'd only had 15 years, but because I drug him outside, it was 35 years. And I'm like, 
Okay? But I looked at him, and I said, what's the guy's name? And he said, Glass. The man's last name was Glass. And he's been dead for 15 years. I said, yeah. And I said, do you realize that he's been dead for 15 years, he's in the coffin, under the ground, and he's still controlling you? And he turned into a wet rag, just a limp noodle, just, it was like everything was taken out of him. Because whenever he mentioned the guy's name, his veins would bulge out, his neck, they would pop out, and he was just full of all this anger. Okay? And the only reason I, ter- I had to go back all those years to find a success story in Dolph Painter's life, so I'm not putting myself as up some great guy, but what it took was wading into someone I couldn't relate to, I, I didn't know anything about what he was telling me about the story, about the 15 years, 35 years, that getting mad because someone's smoking your dope. I, I, I didn't understand any of it, not a thing. But just to go in there and wade a little bit, and find out where he's at. And that happened, and we haven't been back in the prison, so one day I want to look him up, and I want to find out if he still talks about that guy and his veins still pull. I hope, I hope his veins don't bulge out anymore. But sometimes you got to wade into there to do that. you got to wade into there. Now, now, again, I'm going to share that with you. Let's suppose I worked with this guy every year for five or six years, and every time he talked about this guy, he's still full of rage and anger. There's a time where you said, I've given you all that I know. It's up to you and God now. So you back away. You got it? But you got to try. You got to try. So sometimes the people we try are dirty, stinky, smelly. But we've got to wait out there and we got to give them that chance. And I hope we as a church start thinking like that. Okay. There's, there's a time where primitive Baptists think, okay, you know, the only thing that rides up to a primitive Baptist, if you were in the 70s, it would be a wood grain paneled station wagon. In the 80s, it would have been a minivan. Now it's an SUV. See, that's what primitive Baptists look like with a bunch of kids full of it. No, no. They could drive up and beat up old rusted out trucks. Yes? Right? Sometimes they're all messed up cars and the vinyl on the roof is all peeling off. got to give them a shot. So if you really want to interact with people the way Christ did, yes, there's a time to be firm. There's a time where you don't cast your pearls before swine. But that's not the first time you meet them. You got to give them a shot. So may the Lord help us as individuals represent Jesus Christ. And if we do, I think we'll have a church here that'll start to be bearing some fruits of the Spirit itself. And that's what we're looking for. Amen. Not for our sake, for God's sake, because we want to glorify Him. God bless you. Thank you.